Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Jonah and Ben Play Board Games with Friends. I am Jonah, and I am joined, as always, by my co-host, Ben. Hey, how's it going? Doing well, thanks for asking. And today we are joined by yet another guest. This person is Nick, who I know from school in California. Hey, Nick. Hello. All right, so Nick, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? What kind of games do you like to play? What board game maybe got you into the hobby? Yeah, well, I think the first one I ever played was uh, Pandemic, perhaps, with some uh, friends when I was studying over in Sweden, which mm -hmm. I didn't actually enjoy very much. I found out... The studying in Sweden or Pandemic? Pandemic. I found ah. out pretty much immediately that I'm not a huge fan of uh, cooperative board games. Um, mm -hmm. So... And I think I mainly like Euros, for the most part, and uh, uh, some good amount of player interaction mixed mm -hmm. in with that Euroness. Interesting, because Euros tend not to have too much player interaction, I think. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, could you describe what a Euro game is? I don't think I've actually covered that on the podcast yet, nor do I have the greatest definition of what a Euro game is. Oh, God. I think it's too broad but i think it's usually associated with uh some kind of economic system with uh resource conversion and mm -hmm. uh i think most of the time victory points are involved and some right. kind of engine building yeah, I, th component. I think another thing with euros for the definition although this is only something i know from criticisms of euros is that the theme is always pasted on and mm -hmm. that you can pretty much re-theme a Euro game with any other theme, and it would still make sense. Yep. Yep. Which, well, uh, that's uh, perfectly going to describe my uh, game of the week, though. <laughs> exactly. Here, so. I think while we're, while we're at it, might be a good time, because I know we haven't done it yet, to describe maybe what game got you and I into the hobby, Jonah. Oh, that's a good idea. You want to lead off? Yeah, sure. Um, so I've always... I mean, I'd never really been into like hobby style board games, these heavier strategy games like what we've been playing now. But I always played Monopoly like most families probably did at the holidays and things like that. And I hated my entire family while playing it. Um, Classic. But I really got into it in college, uh, right down right down the street from from University of Maryland, which is where I went. There's a uh, the board and brew, which is a uh, board game hmm. cafe, and uh, my friends would always go. And one day I decided to go, and we played a game called Takanoko. Uh, the panda one, or the... yes, the, the panda one, where you grow pieces of bamboo and you move around these uh, hexes on on this randomly generated map. And I still have it to this day because in the middle, as, as has become tradition with how I buy my board games, in the middle of playing it, I'm like okay, I'm buying this. And I mm -hmm. bought it in the middle of playing it. And that was the game that kind of got me into uh, more of the niche style games that we play nowadays. So yeah, that was back in like 2014. So also, yeah, five years ago. And yeah. it's been a good time in the hobby since then. Yeah, I mean, I've had a, I've had a good time with it. And I mean, I was I was looking for something to do when I graduated when I was back at home. So it was definitely a good way to meet people as well. So Mm-hmm. All right. The board game that got me into board games. I actually 
I don't know. I played Scattergories and like Trivial Pursuit growing up with my family. But I think what really kickstarted it was in college, I played a game of Avalon, the Resistance Avalon, which is a social deduction game, which is basically just, uh, you know, lie to your friends and try and figure out who's lying better or worse than the others. And I definitely enjoyed that. And from there, I went to Catan and Pandemic Legacy. Cool. I still haven't played any Pandemics, so, you know. I am actually remembering back back before I had played Pandemic for the first time. I remember at Santa Barbara, you actually tried to get me to play Pandemic Legacy with you, Jonah. And I just, <laughs> I can I remember, believe it. I can remember like scoffing internally almost <laughs> i was i was not yet a convert and uh i had totally forgotten about that until i started thinking about it just now yeah so. how great is that you and i went to college <laughs> together for four years and we have played more board games together in the last week than we did in those four years and in the last <laughs> week online no less yep yep no nope. pretty crazy well never too late to join we're glad to have you in the hobby thank you I <laughs> All right, so let's talk about, speaking of the online games, the games played in the last week. And funnily enough, every game that I have played in this past week, I played with Nick. hey But uh, I'll save my games for later. Ben, you want to start us off? Yeah, sure. Since uh, I've, I actually didn't really play many games online this past week, but my, uh, my big game and one that I'd actually been searching for for a while um, was Undaunted Normandy. Mm-hmm. And I played this with my brother. Um, Undaunted Normandy is a tactical strategy game where uh, you do a little bit of deck building, which is where you can add various cards to your deck while you're playing. But essentially what the goal of the game is, is there are various scenarios in in a scenario book. Mm-hmm. And one player plays the US side of the of the armies because you're playing two rival armies uh Mm -hmm. one plays the u.s side and the other plays who i can only assume is the german side but they change all the logos and things like that um Mm -hmm. so i would say axis and allies is what i will say um so one person plays each of those uh armies and it takes i don't know it it took about 10 minutes to learn um i was Mm -hmm. playing with my brother as usual and it took us about maybe 45 minutes to play. Mm-hmm. And, and you and I have played this before online as well. Exactly. Was it so, better in person than online? Okay, so a little bit of a disclaimer. My brother is not a tactical strategy gamer. He is. I'm, I'm learning more about him as a gamer the more we are stuck inside together. And I'm mm-hmm. learning he's very much a quick, rules-light, take-that player. So he definitely likes when he can screw me over. For those who um, don't know, what does take that mean in board okay, games? Take, take that would be screwing your friends over. Exactly. Um, <laughs> it's the easiest way to describe <laughs> it. So, uh, you know, as we had, uh, you know, discussed a few games on some of the other episodes, let's say Grim Forest, for example, you can play a card that would say your opponent needs to take extra resources of a kind they don't want that would be take that um and after and, you do this action you stick your tongue out at someone and say take that that's the origin of the name right 
I can only assume. I haven't <laughs> done that yet. My brother hasn't done that yet. He says some other choice words to me uh, that I will not repeat. But um, in this game, there is not so much take that uh, in the game itself. It's a lot more strategizing because based on the scenario, um, which is, I think there's 11 of them at the moment, um, based on the scenario, you're trying to accomplish various goals. And uh, I ended up winning, which is a miracle because I lose every game I play. Um, but he's he he was not a huge fan of it. I really mm-hmm. enjoyed it. But I would say my experience was better playing it in person because I like playing it right. in person when I can. But playing with you online was a better game. Not to insult my brother, but... Jonah's a gamer. Just, yes. That's one way to put it. And not, <laughs> not that I not that I want to say I don't enjoy playing games with non-gamers, but you have to find a specific game to play with someone who might right. not play as many games as we do. And this wasn't one for my brother, but I really enjoyed it. And I, as I've told you already, Jonah, I, I want to try it with my dad because he's big into like history and things like that. And I think he right. would enjoy the setting. Um, but I really enjoyed it, and I've been looking for it since we played it online and I was finally able to grab it. So it was a, it cool. was a good play. Yep. So to conclude Undaunted Normandy, great game, but not for someone's first foray into the hobby, maybe. Um, I, I would or say... Or just not it, your brother. Not not for my brother. I would say that this game is definitely easy enough for someone's first foray into the hobby if they are typically good at other strategy type things or or tactical type ideas like i would say if someone plays you know real-time strategy games on the computer like age of empires things like that this is right up their alley so if you know someone who hasn't played board games but likes those kind of kind of video games Mm -hmm. you know give it a shot because it's a good one yep yep i think with those uh two-player games also that can be like if there's a definite experience difference between the two people playing like i can remember i played uh uh, what's that one bug tile laying game where it's like oh a, hive. Hive. hive? I love Hive. Yeah, without going too much into detail, it's an abstract strategy game, and I played against my uh, dad one Christmas, and uh, his first time ever playing that, and like really any board game besides Monopoly, and I can just remember him not wanting anything to do with any like it ever again, just because. <laughs> I was somewhat experienced and kind of knew yeah. what to right. do. And uh, I think it, especially the head-to-head games can unfortunately make the new person feel stupid if they're... Right. That's kind of... Yeah. I don't want to say it's a problem, but that's part of two-player abstract games. Like um, yeah. chess. If someone has played chess 10 times and it is your first time, we already know who's going to win. Yeah. And I would say, I would say specifically in the case of Undaunted, it's be, because it's scenario based and there are different goals per scenario. It definitely doesn't have as much of that uh, experience gap, but there's definitely uh, that experience gap in terms of whether or not you've played similar style games before. Um, mm-hmm. But he he did say to me afterwards, if I really wanted to play it again, he would play it again. He just felt like there wasn't as much for him to do, and I think I know that he meant not as much for him to do to me. Right. Um, so, you know, but yeah, I definitely would play it anytime someone decided, hey, I want to play Undaunted. I, I really, really liked it. Great. What else did you play? 
you said it was a light game week though correct uh yeah it was it was that and it was our game of the week so i'll hold off on talking about that until we get to that segment all right good call nick you want to talk about the games you played or i guess the games we played this week Uh yes all right first one uh i can't remember what day but i asked you if you wanted to play race for the galaxy and you said you were excited or that you had wanted to play that game for a while yeah i Um, think it came out in like 07 which is a long time ago in the board game sphere something i'll keep saying in this podcast for games that are you know 10 years old (laughs) yeah that's old that's old um and there was a great online uh implementation on board game arena i Mm -hmm. think yep yep uh anywho it is a game where you are you're given a hand of cards and there are worlds uh developments which are like technology cards and you're basically just trying to build a tableau of these worlds and development cards and they have a cost which you are paying with the other cards in your hand so the cards mm-hmm. are both their face value whatever is on it but then also they can just be used as a kind of resource to pay for it uh for other cards and, right, and we'll yeah. talk about that some more later as well with our talk about multi-use cards, right? Mm-hmm. Yes, sir. Um, and it's quick. It's like, I think it was less than 20 minutes, our first game. Uh, and I think it can be even shorter, like with experienced people, uh, which was nice. Yeah, I mean, I really we played it, what, that. three times back-to-back? And it was like a 20-minute game, a 15-minute game, a 10-minute game? Yep, yep. Super quick, enjoyable. I didn't understand it, uh, but luckily the online implementation didn't allow us to break any rules or anything, so that was great. Right. Uh, but I also think that might have it gets rid of some of the struggle of having to learn the rules correctly. So maybe that's why I felt so lost. Right. Uh, I mean, when you're not moving pieces in person, I don't. I think rules kind of can't cement as well because a resource might just disappear from your hand, and you know the computer does the work for you, but you don't really know where it went, why it went there. Yep. Yep. And that is kind of what happened <laughs> the first game. Yeah. I was I, just kind of clicking around and seeing what happened. And I, I, I'm pretty sure I won the first game, and I just felt like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> How did that happen? But after, I think I played it three or four more times, and I enjoyed it more with each game I played. So it was mm-hmm. nice. I really liked it. Uh, I think I want to play it in person, though, against somebody of equal experience, because I played against one guy who was very good, and I lost by quite a bit. Um, oh, yeah, I played another one after we played as well against some random person on Board Game Arena, and I got killed. I mean, I got killed when I played you as well, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, yeah, uh, what was, there was the theme, space theme, um, kind of, I, I, I mean, the theme was there. I didn't really feel like I was, like, creating some kind of, uh, you know, space empire or anything like that which i think is kind of what the theme is going for because right i think star realms does the space card game theme better yeah yeah definitely definitely um and uh yeah i really liked the cards as a resource thing we're going to talk about multi-use cards later but just the having to think about like what you want to play now 
uh, versus what you want to play later, but you right. might have to use some of those cards as a resource now to pay for something, and then you kind of just have to re uh, reevaluate your plans, your long term plans, based on the new cards you draw. And uh, so, yeah. All right, sounds good. What else did you play this week? We also even though played... I know the answer to that. <laughs> Uh, Lorenzo Il Magnifico, which is a Euro game, and you are, it's taking place in Renaissance Italy, and we are building tableaus in which we're creating an engine um, that we actually, it's an engine building game where you actually have to run the engine yourself, which I thought was pretty interesting compared Nick, to other what Euro is an engine building game? <laughs> Yeah, I was going to say, I think that's the first time that we've used the term engine building on the podcast uh, so far. Uh, uh, all right. Yes, you're special, Nick. You're basically just making a, well, in this case, it's you're putting cards in front of you that you have to pay for that then make your moves more efficient so that you can generate more resources more efficiently or in order to gain victory points, uh, usually a mixture of the two. So you're... Mm -hmm creating this, putting resources into this thing that then pumps out more uh, resources and victory points. And It's uh, a very aptly named um, mechanic, right? You're building an engine and then running the engine. Exactly. Whereas I, in many, like, I guess I'll go with Agricola, for example, you're also building a tableau, but it's kind of just a passive upgrade to your efficiency, like whatever the cards do they affect all of your moves mm -hmm. and uh like if you go on this spot it'll give you this bonus whereas in lorenzo you're building the cards and they don't do anything passively you actually have to put one of your pieces on a action space on the board and then it runs your whole engine and then you get the benefit so there's kind of a tension there too because those uh, engine running spaces are limited or there's one good one and then one not so great one. So there's some tension built in on who's going to get the most or the best. Uh, right. And one, th and one thing you didn't mention about this game is that there are three dice that are rolled. Right. And we each have four workers. Three of our workers match the three rolled. Is it die? I think die is the plural. Who knows? Um, three of the, our workers match the rolled numbers and then our fourth worker is a zero and then these spots on the board where we can put our workers require you to have a certain number attached to it i know you haven't played marco polo and there are a lot of other dice worker placement games but i think lorenzo il magnifico did not do dice placement as well or as interestingly as marco polo mm -hmm. yep i have only seen a gameplay of it but I do like the trader, the or what's it called? Root the root building aspect of the Marco Polo two? Or are you oh, yeah. just or are you just moving around a map? Uh I think you're just moving around the map, but there's also some good asymmetry in Marco Polo because everyone has a different player power that they can make something unique happen on their turn. Mm -hmm. So Yep. Well it was uh I did really I think I enjoyed it. <laughs> At least my memory of it is I enjoyed it uh, in our discussion afterwards. But it was uh, 
what I thought was just how tight the resources were because there's you've base you've got like uh wood, stone, and I think those were like the two building resources, but then mm-hmm. outside of that there was money and the little purple purple worker. The servants guys. or the workers, yeah. Yeah, who functioned as basically a plus one on any die roll that you were gonna use. Um but I thought the planning required for each turn was I think either they drew some inspiration from Terra Mystica or Terra Mystica drew some from them because I definitely felt I had to like balance my uh how I was spending my resources really smart so that mm-hmm. I could like actually get the most out of my turns because I remember you had one turn where you said you had to put your uh worker on like the wild spot or the uh turn order spot which was like one of the worst ones but that was just because you had run out of the right little little purple dudes and i remember having the same thing and i remember thinking (laughs) back to terra mystica and how i just would run out of either workers or money and then i was i would just have to pass out of a turn way before other people so Mm -hmm. definitely had that that tight resource management that uh I like a bit, <laughs> but yeah. I also I also like the freedom of just kind of having a lot more resources to use and just kind of doing whatever. Right. A tight resource management game also means you have to think a lot harder because you can't just play fast and loose and see what happens, right? Right. Exactly. And also, I just did a quick Google, and Lorenzo Il Magnifico is four years newer than Terra Mystica. Terra Mystica came out in 2012, Lorenzo 2016. Mm-hmm. All right. All right, and then I will just talk about one of the games that I played this week because the rest you have already heard about from Nick, and then the one that we did not mention is going to be our game of the week, so we'll talk about it then. Um, Nick and I played a game of 1889 with a friend of ours, Rich, who we play board games with pretty frequently online, especially these days. 1889 is a game in the sub-genre of board games called 18xx. This is more information than most people probably want, so I'm going to go over it very briefly. But 18xx games are board games where each person is running a train company and laying track and moving the trains around the map to make money, and then also buying and selling shares in all the companies that are a part of the game. I think what I should say is what Nick said, that there are kind of like two games happening at once. There's the map where the trains are moving around, and then there's a stock game. And uh, 1889 is billed as being a good intro 18xx game, and it was my first 18xx game. It was yours as well, right, Nick? Yes, indeed. The other thing about 18xx games is that they take a long time. People say that for a new player-only game of 1889 to expect five, six hours, maybe, which is a lot longer than most people are willing to spend on a game. But uh, that did not stop us. We wanted to try this. I've been wanting to try an 18xx game for a while. And we played it. It took four hours, which is kind of what we anticipated. And similar to what you were saying earlier, Nick, about Board Game Arena, we played this on 18xx.games. Mm-hmm. 
is the website. And I actually think it was a really good implementation because just like you were saying about Board Game Arena forcing us to follow the rules, 18xx is so totally new to us. I think it was really helpful to have rules reminders at every step. Yep, yep. And basically, anytime we couldn't do something, we were like, wait, why can we not do that? And at that point, we would reference the rules. But uh, right. yeah, it was all very streamlined. Yeah, it was definitely a good implementation. And I quite liked our play of it. I think it is definitely above my mental limit in board games. That being said, I think it's a really cool game system that I'm happy to play around in any time. I guess. I don't know how, how to say this, really. I enjoyed it. I don't think I'll ever be smart enough to plan stuff out in the game, but it is fun to try stuff in. I don't know. What do you think, Nick? If you can play Food Chain Magnet, which you do, and understand it to the level that you do, I'm sure over time you could definitely get around to it, but it's just the same thing as Food Chain. As if, are you willing to put in the time to right. like really get to understand the systems involved. Um, which at this point, I'm like, eh, I did enjoy it quite a bit, but also I can see needing, yeah, like f- five, six games before I can really understand the importance of like what track tile I'm laying where and like how it sets up future tile laying. It's a, uh, yeah. Yeah, there's... Extra. There's so much to think about at every step of that game, which I'm totally fine with in games. But one thing that I was thinking about after we played it is that if we play that game with anyone who has analysis paralysis, which is, you know, just there's so much to think about on your turn. So you just get paralyzed in thought and don't do anything. Uh, If we were to play that game with anyone who has analysis paralysis, man, I think it would take a day and a half. Yep. Yep. There's ultimate freedom in that game you can kind of spend your money however you see fit and uh there are lots of options and also lots of ways to shoot yourself (laughs) in the foot which i think would just (laughs) add to that ap also so right uh, yeah i mean i i took my gamer fuel beforehand i was drinking my red bull i was all (laughs) mentally there and i was just yeah there were times where i was just staring at the screen and I'm trying to like pre-plan what I'm going to do on my turn and I was just like I I can't think about it. I can't if I think yeah. about it too much, I'm not going to come up with anything good. So I'm just going to kind of You just got to have to you have to cut your losses part way into your thinking and just be like, "You know what? This is as much as I can think about. Let's make an action happen." Exactly. I bet if you drank Mountain Dew Code Red instead, you probably would have had uh, a better better experience. Dude, I couldn't find any. <laughs> At Ralph's, they just had the Red Bull next <laughs> to the checkout counter. <laughs> just I it. What, I is, had... what is Ralph's? Ralph's is um, West Coast ShopRite. Ah, or Safeway or Albertsons. It's a supermarket. Gotcha. Um, yes. One final thing I'll say about 1889, just to illustrate a take that thing for Ben. Um, when... uh, yes, because my brother will definitely get into 18xx. <laughs> <laughs> Um, It was just interesting because when you own shares in a company, if you own 20% at the start, you get the president's share. And then if you have the most shares in the company, 
from then on, you are the president and you act for the company. But um, one thing that is interesting is someone else can buy shares in the company, like we discussed. If they have two shares in the company, you can sell all of your shares in the next round, and then they become the president of the company. And one thing you can do is you can spend all of the company's money on nonsense that helps you as a person and then sell all of your stock in it and have someone else be stuck with a company with trains that don't work and then they have to pay out of their own pocket for these trains. Sounds somewhat familiar to me and not of not of the variety of game I enjoy. Let's just say Rich got stuck with an $1,100 bill oh, for a boy. train. Sorry, Rich. Oh, Sorry, yeah. Rich. Sorry, Rich. It was Jonah. <laughs> it was me. <laughs> oh, man. All right, so those are the games that we played. And now let's talk about the game of the week. The game of the week this week was chosen by Nick. I unfortunately have already mentioned it on the previous two podcasts, but luckily <laughs> I didn't talk about it too much. And the game is Hansa Teutonica. So Nick, why don't you tell us about Hansa Teutonica? Yes, it is a game that I have recently, I don't think, quite falling in love. I don't think I love it. I think it's just slightly below that level. It's probably like an eight and a half. Appreciated. Yeah, it's an eight, eight and a half out of ten. And uh, I want to keep playing it, though, is the thing. It's it's uh, Hansa Teutonica, I think, yeah, we mentioned briefly in the intro, it is a very dry euro in which there is a theme which is uh i think yeah jenna and you talked about it in one of the past podcasts but you are a uh like trading company or just a trader trying to establish some trade networks in the hanseatic league which was a which we've all heard of right yeah is that wait no. time can i can i call time out really quickly is that actually legitimately the theme yeah, I there's thought, a paragraph at the start of the rulebook talking about the Hanseatic League in Europe in like the 1400s or something. Oh boy, I legitimately just thought we were trying to connect things on roads. No, no, there's oh, there there's actually is. okay. <laughs> there's a backstory. I think that should I think that should tell people what you mean by a dry euro. But I <laughs> I yes. really genuinely didn't know that, so that's news to me. They picked the most boring theme, I think, just so they could discard it right away without having to right. <laughs> go too much into depth with it in the actual gameplay. Um but yeah, so it's a uh, a cube pusher. Uh you're you're just moving cubes on a map. There's this large map of Germany and uh there are a bunch of cities that are connected by uh trade routes. Let's that's what we call them and there are basically uh routes with 3 to 5 Three to four spaces on them that you're going to Two to, to four, be... right? Yeah, something there a two spot. Oh, there I, is a... I, I, took, I took ben... over. I took over. I I abused the two spot to no great benefit to myself, <laughs> but uh, we'll get into that in a little bit. You got on the board. Hey, yes, yeah, so I got, were, it. You... Got me on the board, and it's pretty much the only reason I got on the board. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, and you're you're just creating uh, trade. You're you're linking up these cities with your uh, little cubes and establishing offices in them by just moving the cubes from the root onto the ones that you've uh, established those in the cities next to the trade routes. Uh, upgrading some skills just to make a better engine. 
and uh, yeah, it's you basically just start out the game with two actions and then can go up to five, and you're just placing and moving these cubes around, and it's surprisingly fun. Uh, yeah, I think I said that last week. I'm, you know, we'll keep talking about this, of course. Um, but just to repeat something I said last week, you can really reduce any game to a very short, maybe not nice description of it. Because Hansa Teutonica, you can really say, is just moving cubes around. Like You can really reduce Hansa Teutonica more than you can reduce other games, but it's still quite enjoyable. Yep. Nope. I feel it's like got... Hansa Teutonica is the base version of other games. <laughs> if you stripped everything away from other games, right. you would get what Hansa Teutonica is. <laughs> yep. Yep, but it's I, I have, well, I think there's one other. There's Endeavor Age of Sail, I think is what it's called. Another I've I heard of it. it. Yeah, I haven't played it myself, but it's another similar thing where you're establishing uh, offices in these cities around a map. But besides that, I don't think any other game quite resembles the kind of game Hansa Teutonica is, um, which. You know, just on that fact makes it interesting to me. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really like tactical. You can kind of set up some plans for what you want to do, the kind of trade routes you want to set up. But the like best play is often just based off of what other people are doing. So I still don't fully understand how to like take advantage or know what the best stuff is. Uh, right, but. But I that is another part of what makes me like it is it's just like each time I play, I think, oh wow, that is super different. And like I know we kind of you and I, Jonah, developed a small meta. A small meta, yeah. Uh, this thing worked once. Let's see if it can work twice. Let's abuse this until somebody figures out a way to <laughs> stop it. Um, well, it was very difficult and near impossible for me to stop it. So I right. made my own meta of the mini route. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's just uh, yeah, it's it's very. It can be super quick. I think we played in around an hour one time. I think this uh, time was an hour. Yeah, it was oh, short. Was it? Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's also got moments where you know you can really stop and think and be like okay well if this then that and this and you can kind of plan ahead but a lot of it is just like what's the best move now and try to build off that um so it's got a good uh uh crunch ver- versus smooth factor as I'll call yeah. it <laughs> nice um the... is that a new is that a new uh measurement system I'm that unsure. Nick just created <laughs> I'm unsure. i have heard the peanut butter scale crunchy before <laughs> I will say the uh, call it the peanut butter scale. All right, peanut butter scale going forwards. You heard it here first. Um, the Game Brain podcast. One of the guys on that podcast has said something a couple times that I think I really like. He'll talk about a game and how much thinking there is, and he says the juice is worth the squeeze, Mm -hmm. which I really like because you know if 1889 took us eight or ten hours. I would have said, you know, what we got out of it was not worth what we put into it. And, you know, with Hansa, it takes an hour. So I think the juice is definitely worth the squeeze. Get some good strategic depth, and there's some good payoff. Yep. It uh, inspired me to look up a, or to Google, uh, best games with three plus players and less than an hour. 
So I'm I'm trying to see if there are some other good quick ones that uh Well you know bus is definitely on there. Oh, we're gonna we're gonna bus is one hundred percent a game of the week that's coming up. There's no doubt about it. We're gonna have to have a splatter mega episode. <laughs> yeah, sure. We could talk about <laughs> every splatter game we've played. All three or four of them? All three. Yeah, I think I played <laughs> four. I think, I I think four. I played four. Oh yeah. roads and boats. No, I wish in, Indonesia. Indonesia, but uh, in, with, I, I have thoughts, <laughs> and that's why we have a podcast because we have yeah. thoughts. Yeah, but in terms of Hansa, for me, I and if people haven't gathered yet, uh, I actually did join Nick and Jonah on this one, so uh, I'm finally <laughs> I'm finally part of the group. Um, I liked it. I didn't love it. I would definitely play it again. I think I need to play it again to gather some more strategies to use um, because uh, some of the methods of gaining more moves, which is a very strong strategy in the game, um, because as Nick said, you can go, you start with two actions, actions on your turn. turn and you can end with five potentially. Um, I was stuck at two actions for <laughs> half the game uh, because you guys clogged the trade route up because there's one trade route that allows you to upgrade that action until there's these bonus tiles that you can put out on the board that potentially could allow you to upgrade actions as well but you need to claim the trade route that has that bonus tile associated with it yeah nick and, and i just kind yeah. of played chicken there the entire game and it didn't hurt either of us only ben <laughs> Yeah, so I was, I mean, I got on the board because I was gaining points for claiming this two-cube two route because it was easy enough for me to claim, but I definitely fell behind quick and early because I couldn't get extra actions. Um, so I'm, I'm interested to try it again to see what I might be able to do to counter that with potentially another starting strategy. Um, but I think that's what drew me to the game. Like, that's the part of the game I like. Mm -hmm. Is that, you know, I have to try. I have to try and figure out how to beat a strategy where the other people play chicken in the trade route that I would like to go into. And, and very importantly, you could have you could have moved either of us out of the trade route. It's just in Hansa Teutonica, if you put a disc in a spot when someone else wants to move it out, they have to pay through the nose to do so. Yeah, and I unfortunately, and this to me comes back to not having enough actions. I couldn't get enough cubes because it has a the game has an interesting mechanism of you have like spent cubes and available cubes and they move between spent or available throughout the game but one of your actions on your turn is to pull a certain number of cubes from your supply into your uh what is it called it has the two names what are the two names again stock and supply i think yes which so is horrible it should be active and inactive yeah so your your supply is inactive and your stock is active um i think uh that's why it's yeah <laughs> exactly whatever so there's a there's an action that you could take that allows you to pull inactive cubes into your active cube section but i couldn't afford to place cubes because I didn't have enough actions on my turn to pull cubes back to replace. Right. So it would have taken you like two or three turns to build up the cubes to just exactly. displace us. So, yeah. Exactly. But I, I mean, I thought the game was enjoyable and it's definitely quick enough that I 
have no problem playing it again because we can finish it in an hour, an hour and 15 minutes. So, I, I mean, mm-hmm. I liked it. It was not my favorite game I've ever played, but it was definitely not the worst game I've ever played. So, you know, yeah. I, I I did like it. And, you know, as always, glad to be part of the group and get invited. <laughs> I, I think you were invited before. Yeah, I've been invited before. But I'm also just easy pickings for people who need to up their win percentage. So, <laughs> <laughs> Which is all that matters. Yeah, I mean, I know that's all you guys keep track of. Let's invite Ben, because it's an easy win. That's, you know, it is what uh, it is at this point. Another thing I liked about it, and I, I had to do a small about amount of research before coming on, on the game. I did look up strategy on the game, finally. I didn't oh, want to do it. That explains everything. But, no, no, no. Wait, before is... our last play, or between <laughs> no. that play and this podcast? Just just two days ago, I think. Oh, okay. Uh, I forgive you. Yes, <laughs> no. Oh, Ben. No, I would never. <laughs> um, but it is... I Basically, what people say is, like... There were forum posts where it's like, okay, you should do this strategy or this strategy. And then basically everyone in the comments was like, uh, you can't do that every time because the game changes depending on what other people are doing. And the best thing is never going to be the same two games in a row most of the time. Right. And and like nobody really had like clear strategies, like planning out the perfect end long game uh, strategy. It was just like, okay, well, if your opponents are going there, just block him. And mm-hmm. if, or like, if if you can get more points going there, why don't you do that kind of thing? So it's it was a, uh, yeah, I like that. I, I mm-hmm. like that. It's not always clear. Right. It's good when a game doesn't have a dominant strategy to it. Right. Anything else to say about Hansa Teutonica? Uh, oh yes, I have something. I really liked one of the things I really liked the about theme. <laughs> no, one of the things I really liked, and I know I mentioned it to you like really just after we played Jonah, was it was it has a method of chaining moves together in a really cool way that I liked. And I like games that allow you to chain actions together in in neat ways. So for for you, that move where you had I think you had three actions on your turn but then you placed some cubes to claim a root with a bonus that you then spent to get three more moves, which then let you claim another root to gain another action on your turn. And you ended up with like eight actions in one turn. Yeah, it's really and, great to have an eight action turn and then watch <laughs> you follow it up with a two action turn. <laughs> yeah, but I, but I just think like games that allow you to string moves together like that are cool for me because that's the kind of thing I like. Like even if I don't... And right, the combos. Yeah, and I think you've mentioned it on the podcast before about if if you don't win, but the game is like has some interesting things to try, it, it's enjoyable for you. And I'm kind of the same way. And as I've already said, I lose all the time. So I'm really just out here to try some cool <laughs> all stuff. All you are doing is enjoying yourself. Yeah, so I'm in it for the game, not necessarily for the win. I think my, I, I genuinely think my, uh, and I'll have to look it up to be sure, but I think I'm under 20% on wins on my game tracking app. But um. No, I just I like games that give you the freedom to string moves together in neat ways. And this one, while I was unable to do it just because of my lack of number <laughs> of actions, I think it's really cool that it is an ability in the game to be able to do that. So I'm um, I would like to try again to see if I could do something like that. But that was just something that I didn't want to forget because I like mentioning things like that. 
Mm-hmm. And then Nick, you said you had something to mention as well? Uh, I may have, but I have forgotten. <laughs> All right, then I'm you sorry, already Nick. mentioned it. No, and... no, I've been talking mostly for the past 10 minutes, so you're good, Ben. <laughs> oh, thanks. All right, well then, in that case, let's move on to Ben's backings. Oh, yes. Uh, so I texted Jonah in the middle of this week and said, oh, I have some fun things to talk about this week. Um, and I think I do. Uh, and now I am I'm cur- going to talk about them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm currently backing uh, one, two, hundred, three. I'm backing three different dice projects. I'm backing one, two. I'm Wait, backing two. Three dice projects or four? Are you including well, the rubber ducky dice? I am including the rubber ducky dice in that. Because uh, okay. I'm in, I'm in on the rubber ducky dice at a dollar, so I'm not. It's just so I can get updates. Um, and that's a method that I use personally a lot. I go in for for games that offer a pledge manager, mm-hmm. or something that allows you to allocate your money after the campaign is over. Uh, I usually go in at the level that is the minimum required to be able to buy the game later. It Right. For also, me, to be clear, we're talking about Kickstarter. I don't think I mentioned yes. that in case people well, don't you know said what Ben's backings, backings refers to. I think we to. said it in the first podcast, but we might not have. But yes, we're talking about Kickstarter, of which I've recently become a super backer, which, oh, means, wow. I've, which means I've uh, backed at least 10 projects at $10 or more. Um, which really, when you think about it, isn't that much because it's in a whole year. But um, yeah, I'm currently in on three dice projects, even though the the dice Kickstarter for the Wormwood dice uh, just ended recently. So I backed that as well. Um, I'm in on two different, uh, whatchamacallit, uh, little modules for Dungeons and Dragons to use. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of them is like a full-on little starter set with like its own mini campaign. The other one is specifically a booklet of uh, boss battles and final encounters, because as you two know, we are starting a Dungeons and Dragons campaign that I am running. That's right. We'll talk about it next week on the games played. Yeah. You guys can, uh, well, maybe you, I don't know if Nick will be back next week, but you, uh, you can insult me on that uh, depending on how bad I am. Insult uh, Ben. Ben, you're our hero. You're our savior. Your DM, you you assembled it. We, I could never, I could never hate you. Oh, I think I'm, that's I think so I'm nice. in love. I think oh, I'm in love. <laughs> well, we've pushed beyond the boundary of comfort. I think okay. the relationship between a player and his DM, though, you know, that's pretty. It's intimate. It's pretty, it's yeah. pretty intimate. Well, based on your wild backstory that you sent me, it's definitely we've definitely reached a new level in our friendship. Um, oh, so back to Kickstarter. That. Yeah. <laughs> scratch that. Scratch that. I'm actually at three different uh, module campaigns for Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, pretty much everything in here has to do with Dungeons and Dragons right now, because I dive into my hobbies hard and this is a new one for me. So, you know, I have an obsessive personality. Um, I've also backed some uh, miniature brushes. I do want to get back into miniature painting. A lot of my games have miniatures, as you know, Jonah. Um, mm-hmm. And I don't paint them often. I pay other people to paint them, but I'm getting tired of doing that because of a few different things that have just turned me off of paying people. So I want to try and do it myself. So I'm backing some paint brushes that look nice. Um, and then I actually backed. 
uh, in the last week of the campaign. And this is the reason why I texted you, Jonah. I backed a game called Merchants of the Dark Road. Oh, yeah. And, I remember reading about that on Reddit a couple weeks ago. Yeah. And it it wasn't something that was really on my radar until classic YouTube with their recommendation algorithm that usually means nothing uh, sent me a video for a how to play um, and a mini playthrough of the game. And I watched it and it's a video from John Getz Games, which is a channel that I subscribe to already anyway, so that maybe that's why it popped up. And I think he does a great job at doing playthroughs and tutorials, especially for upcoming Kickstarters. And I watched it and the game just looked really neat. And I went in and I backed it. Uh, I'm at the minimum level, so I can come in at the pledge manager. But it's uh, it's got a few different parts to it. So you you maneuver around a town center, and you can do various actions at the specific locations in town. But it also has a tiny bit of polyomino. I finally get to say the word polyomino. Oh, you're in on the polyomino train. Yeah. It's, it's um, so good. Yeah, right. Uh, it. I wouldn't say it's polyominoes in the same sense that many of the other games are, because it's really just like squares and rectangles. So I don't know if they still count as polyominoes, but you're putting them in a grid that you need to fit them into on a carriage, because various actions on the board uh, have you transporting goods to towns that are outside of. Uh, this main town that you play in on the board and you're mm-hmm. trying to deliver some of these goods. Uh, but it's neat because you're also trying to sell these goods to heroes uh, that are going to go out and fight monsters. Um, so you're gaining money. There's like an economy system that you're gaining money based on, um, you know, selling these goods to heroes, but you're also gaining points if you deliver the goods to a location or if you deliver the hero to a location because you can pick up a hero and bring them to a town that they need to get to. And uh, so it's got a little bit of that contract fulfillment that I know you like. um, That's right. And it also has a cool, uh, we've been talking about games with wheels a lot on the board that you rotate. And uh, this one has a wheel for the economy. So the various goods get, you can manipulate the market by rotating this wheel on the board that changes like the value of the goods for when you sell or deliver them. And uh, do you know the term for a wheel that you spin in a board game? I learned this recently. I actually have no idea. So please enlighten me. I know how it's spelled and I might make an ass of myself by mispronouncing it, but it's R O N D E L. It's Rondel or Rondel. Oh, I think it's Rondel. I think it's Rondel as well. Someone can correct me later, but it's yeah. Rondel. Tolkien has it. Uh, yeah. I know Rondel. I think a rondelle is what they also call like the thing, a uh, Great Western Trail, where you like repeatedly go around the same loop. I'm pretty sure that has the same name for it too. And if so, it's rondelle. But oh, it is pronounced rondelle because it's usually spelled R-O-N-D-E-L-L-E. There you go. Yeah. Oh, well, we'll uh, go back and pretend like we knew that from the beginning. But yeah, so it's got it's got one of those, and then. As you also know, I love my deluxe versions of games. So, so it's a metal uh, wheel. No, it's not a metal wheel, but there are screen... <laughs> pr- so you have a you have a little carriage uh, that you carry your stuff on, but on the game board, you have little carriage meeples. And uh, they on the deluxe version, they screen print them so you can see the horses and the wood grain. And there's resin lanterns because you use lanterns to 
Um, this is something that I thought was neat, but you use these lanterns when you're going out to other locations to complete these little deliveries. And you can spend lanterns to do a shortcut down the dark road, Merchants of the Dark Road. Um, and if you spend a certain number of lanterns, you do a shortcut and it's not as dangerous to go out to these locations. Um, and then there's also uh, metal horseshoes that you use to change the speed of your travel. Um, yeah. And uh, of course, there's resin uh, quartz crystals as well. So that's cool. Um, so yeah, I just I like my deluxe stuff. So that was the big game that I backed this uh, this past week. And I think uh, I'm glad that YouTube's random algorithm brought it to my attention. I'm sure it was an advertisement. It, I mean, it, it, it might have been, but it was definitely targeted correctly. They got you good. Yeah, so uh, um, that's yeah, it looking, for my backings. Yes, Nick. I'm looking at it now, and it's got a really cool art style too. I really like the art on all this stuff. It reminds me a lot of like Everdell type yes. uh, images. Um, it has a very cool art style. I definitely agree with some of the people who say that the faces on the characters are a little creepy because I agree. Their their <laughs> eyes are near the sides of their head in a they're way. They're near their ears. Yeah, they're very wide set in like an unnatural way. Um, so it definitely has that fantasy feeling, but it it's a, it's an interesting art style for sure. But I I like the look of everything about it, um, like art wise. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I think uh, it it just looked really cool, and I am a fan of games of this nature and i sold champions of midgard a while ago which has a similar go out and do things at various locations uh system but mm-hmm. there's bad things that can happen on the way and i think this will be a good uh, replacement for that so cool nick are you yeah. backing anything on kickstarter oh I, it's not new and but i mean it's probably a game that no one's heard of it's a uh Pax Premier Second Edition. I, oh. it, it's pretty underground. Nobody, nobody's <laughs> yeah. heard of it. Um, well, why don't you tell they, us all about it then, Nick? <laughs> no, it's. Uh, I think guess it's what on you got yourself into third printing. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, we. I played it with you, Jonah, and uh, I think Jamie, and I think we played with Rich also. That's um, right. Jamie is a friend of mine from uh, Teaching English in Korea, who is a fellow avid board gamer. Jonah yeah. is much more worldly than I am, so you'll. a lot of his friends are from cool locations, and mine are from New Jersey. Yeah, Jonah has not only been around the world, he has also been across the United States, which I think is more than most Americans can say. So, <laughs> pretty impressive, Jonah. Well, thank you. So tell Quite us about Pax Premier. It's more impressive <laughs> than me. Oh God, I it's I. Do I need to I explain it? You can no, do this. No, <laughs> I can. I can do it. It's just you know, where do I start? Uh, no, uh, it's a sort of you're okay. So you are investing in. Are, what is it? I, I think you have to do it because I'm not actually sure who you are playing as. You're like some kind of investor in a. Uh, I think you're thinking of 1889. No, I know. All right, so Pax Premier 2nd Edition is a board game that takes place in Afghanistan. And um, each player plays as tribes. And the tribes that you are playing as are either loyal to the Afghans, to the Russians, or the British. And 
it's an area control game, which means you are trying to control areas in the map. Pretty self-explanatory there. And it is also a tableau builder, similar to Race for the Galaxy. So you are buying cards and putting them out in front of you. And with each card that you add in front of you, you gain actions from those cards to choose from each turn. And I think we mentioned it briefly last week when we talked about increased value of unchosen resources. You just have to buy over certain cards to get to a later card, which makes the earlier cards worth more. Anyway, um, that is Pax Pamir. It, it has some neat area control to it. You can change factions if you want and you can have multiple players be a part of the same faction so it's interesting because we could have a three-player game where all three of us are playing as russians and then when some scoring happens the question is asked which one of you is the best russian yep. so very eloquent i i don't think i could have <laughs> really i thought that was a little long-winded <laughs> no no that was i think about as as uh as winded as necessary. Simplify it. Simplify. Simplify. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> what yes. are words? It is. I, I. I played it three or four times on Tabletop Simulator, which uh, the actual designer like allowed this mod to be made and okayed it, and like runs a Discord channel where people can get together and uh, put games together on Tabletop Simulator, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, it's um, always cool when a designer publishes a really great digital implementation for free because then you can experience it as close to reality as possible and then that will probably increase your enjoyment and also probably make you more likely to purchase it for instance nick right it's like a 80 i think like 80 dollar game almost uh i don't know if that was including shipping or not either because it's got some really good components to it but i would have never never even thought about buying it uh had i not played with you and you know just even the chance of like finding someone to play with in my area during non-covid mm -hmm. times i think would have been unlikely so uh, a very nice you surprise come to the east coast and play with us in person sometime yeah maybe or that's... we can come to the west coast because you know why not that's yeah, right we got and we got good mexican food <laughs> I do like um, food. Nick, tell us about Pax Pamir on the newly discovered peanut butter scale. Oh, it is definitely more towards the crunch side. It's 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 about seventy five percent crunch uh, to smoothness, um, and it's it's a game that I did not understand at all the first time I played, and I was actively helping other people <laughs> knowing it and you had to point it out to me uh which made me feel stupid um but uh it was also like hansa teutonica and food chain magnet in that i really wanted to understand the systems afterwards and how i messed up and i like was actively learning throughout because things right. aren't the strategies aren't like super obvious um, so it, I, by the second game, I kind of felt like I knew what I was doing. Um, but still there's just so much like it's, I think like 75% or, or sorry, 25% is played out on the actual map. And then the rest is the cards that you have both in your hand and Tableau 
uh, and the other people's tableaus. Um, so it's it's just so many intricate interwoven systems that are oh, so crunchy, so good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but... it's definitely. Uh, sorry, go on. Nope, nope, that was it. It was. It's just. Uh, I I I felt stupid and continue to feel stupid <laughs> sometimes playing it, but uh, I I. I think I'm starting to understand it more, and mm-hmm. I'm. I you also feel think, less stupid. Yeah, for the most part, <laughs> that's always good. I'm yeah. going to echo your thoughts on uh, seeing that there is a system and wanting to play it again to try and figure out the system. I'm very similar, which is why I like Hansa and Food Chain Magnate. I like games that are replayable because they feel different, and you can try new things, which also touches on the no dominant strategy aspect right and yeah i definitely get that feel from pax Pamir. um every time i play pax Pamir, i lose because well i'm sure i lose for a variety of reasons but i always switch factions towards the end to try to do some nonsense and uh i have a fun time every every single time and uh i lose <laughs> but that's fine <laughs> yep no it's it's like i think like I said, I've I told you in private, Jonah. I think I'm slowly starting to uh, catch. I'm I'm catching the Jonah where I just my opinion on board games has changed so much. Oh, no. Playing with you, where like player interaction now is king. Like if any game doesn't have that, I'm just like, why would I, why would I even play that? But also just the yeah, I don't know where it it doesn't feel like. One, there's no one dominant strategy, but also you're given the freedom to kind of be creative where you're not in, I would say, many like Euro type games, especially worker placements. It's like, Mm -hmm. it seems like you just are working towards getting victory points. Whereas in this game, it's like winning is the most important thing. And sometimes that means getting victory points and other times it's like, Okay, maybe I hold off now. Right. It's like how yeah. in worker placements, every single worker placement game you play, the goal is to get more workers, to get more actions per turn. Right. So you like already know, it's not the dominant strategy, but you already know that you're really behind the eight ball in any worker placement game if you have fewer workers than the other players. So it's good to go into these games having no clue what to even reach for and then really... Swimming around and figuring it out. Pulling levers. Seeing That's that. right. That's what I always say. And I think just to lead into our next segment, I think it, it in terms of going into a game where there are multiple different systems to figure out, those multi-use cards come into play. Oh yes. Mm, and I think Segway. Segway. I'm doing I'm doing my best here. Um but yeah, no, I think you go into a game that has multi-use cards and you have a strategy one time, but when you can use a card for multiple different purposes throughout the game, the strategy can totally go out the window the next game and you can play it in a completely different way. And I think it it definitely contributes to the replayability of a lot of games. And I think that, you know, it's a cool mechanism, which is why it's our mechanism on the mind. All right. Our mechanism this week is, as Ben just said, multi-use cards. And I actually don't know what the definition of multi-use cards (laughs) is, only because 
I have two definitions of what it is, and I don't know if it is semantics, my two different definitions. So can I say what my two definitions are, and you guys can tell me how stupid I am? Yeah, sure. I always love telling you how stupid you are. Okay. So <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I, I think <laughs> I think that a multi-use card is not a card that has multiple things that you can do printed on it. I think a multi-use card is a card that can be used for different types of things. And let me talk about what that means to maybe illustrate this point more clearly. In a game like Undaunted Normandy, which you just played, the cards do certain things. Like this will say, move two spaces, or this will say, you know, fire this gun. Very, that's wrong and simplified to the extreme. But it'll say that on it, but then there will also be a number on the top left, which is the initiative number. Yep. And at the beginning of each round, each player puts a card face down to kind of bid for turn order. Then that gets flipped over and the higher number goes first, correct? Correct. And you're burning that card and, to right. get the ability to go first. So in, in my opinion, a multi-use card is when a card can be used for multiple things, but not multiple things that are printed on the card. I think a card that has you know either fire this gun or spend two money is not a multi-use card. I think a card that can be used for the what it does or for something totally different to what it does is a multi-use card. And I think on that Which one note, do you guys think? Or which one did you mean for this week, Nick? Oh, yeah. yeah. I kept it very, very broad. I, <laughs> I, 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 could not, I could not narrow it down. So I just kind of included uh, all the games that kind of, <laughs> kind of applied. All right. Excellent. Ben? Um, yeah, I... So I wasn't going to necessarily choose which of your definitions was more correct, but one that I actually thought of like in the middle of this episode and also listening to you describe it. And I'm not a hundred sure. Yeah, and I'm not a hundred percent sure if it counts or not, so please feel free to let me know. But we've played together a few times now, um, Brass Birmingham, which I know we've discussed. Would you say that those cards are multi use in that No. You, <laughs> no, you don't think so? <laughs> Uh, okay. elaborate. So in, in in my head, the way I was thinking about it was you have to discard a card to do things on the board. And the card has either the location or the item, uh, the industry printed on it, which allows you to go to various spaces. But you can also choose to dump that card altogether to do a completely different move, sacrificing the ability printed on the card to do something else in the game. And I don't know if that applies, which is why I'm trying to get your opinion. But for some reason, I was just trying to think of more games than the ones I wrote down. And like You that have convinced me to head. change my answer from no to maybe. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all I wanted out of this. So <laughs> I've succeeded in my own head. But Nick is the Brass yeah. Birmingham expert, so we should ask him. I included Brass Birmingham under a subcategory, subcategory oh. of uh, uh, multi-use cards hey. as uh, cards as money. That is the subcategory. Oh, what else is in that category? Wait, Wraith you, of the Galaxy? You made yeah. subcategories? I made one subcategory. Oh, this guy's more prepared than I am. AKA an exception. So maybe it's not. <laughs> <laughs> maybe it's not. But 
All right, whatever. Um, so what else is on the list then, Nick? I I just went through Board Game Geek and tried to find all the games in like the top 200 that I thought might apply. And uh, Gloomhaven, number one, yep. it's got the, you could do the attack top value or the movement bottom value often. So uh, this is my second definition of multi-use cards then, yep. is yeah. what that yep. and falls under. Gloomhaven was on my list as well. And even then, it's like you could either do like the top attack value or do like a default top attack, which is like you're just doing two damage instead of whatever the attack was. But then also they have initiative values like that other game you were talking about. Um, Undaunted. Also yeah. Twilight Struggle. Have you played that, Nick? No, no. But that was also one that I uh, had looked up and people were talking about. Yeah, that has the initiative values. Yep, and then that one, it's like you could the cards also have two functions, right? You can like move the chip, the marker up and down, or you can. Oh no, I'm thinking of Watergate. Sorry, different different game. Come on, similar different, different Cold similar. War board game. <laughs> <laughs> um, but then yeah, and then the other one that I think best fits the definition, at least of games that I've played, is uh, Raiders of the North Sea. Where... Oh yeah. Oh, and the three of us played that a few weeks ago. Yeah, we yep. did. Yeah, where you can either play it uh play a card in your hand as uh part of your crew, aka your engine or tableau, Whoa. or you can just play it for its uh like action. Each card just has an immediate action that it can do also. Mm -hmm. Um so I think that was our game of the week on the first episode. Was it so. really? The yeah, one that I... aired or the one that didn't air? Whoa, don't talk about oh. the secret Patreon <laughs> exclusive uh, <laughs> mystery episode. Oh, right. No. It's on your OnlyFans. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear, dear God. Oh, man. So, um, Ben, it was... what multi-use card games do you so have for us? I'm, so I'm just hoping that one of these on my list is not on either of your lists so that I can... F okay. One of them is definitely valid because I had Gloomhaven and Undaunted on here. <laughs> but no, I'm hoping that I have one that you didn't have because I think it's a neat one that uh, potentially is one that people might not think of. And uh, Battlestar Galactica was on my list. Oh, yeah, I had it on mine as well. Oh, oh so close. But uh, yeah, I, I thought... I didn't really think about it until I searched for multi-use card games and someone mentioned it and i'm like wow you're you know i didn't think about it that way but it really is a multi-use card because it has an ability printed on the card that you can use it for but you also need to discard it during the game in order to meet various thresholds for points right so this um, meets the definition of the stuff the card does or a number for something totally different right Correct. Yeah. Yep. Uh, and let's see. I also have, and this was another one that I just picked up from from searching for it. But I, it's been a while since we've played, and I only played the one time, so I don't a hundred percent remember how it works. But uh, War of the Ring has multi-use cards, and I know that you uh, you play the cards in, um, you know, there's actions printed on the card, and I think it. If I recall correctly, it gives you choices on the card for what you can do. So um, mm -hmm. it gives yep. you a few different ways to to act through that as well. Um, 
And then other than that, I, I had Undaunted and Gloomhaven, which we've talked about both. And then the only other one I had was Grim Forest, because Grim Forest has uh, the friend cards that you can use that give you various bonuses, but you can do a few different things that mm-hmm. are all printed on the card. So it gives you multiple options for using the cards. So, And then, of course, Pax Pamir, as we discussed a few minutes ago, will have the multi-use oh, options. Right. right, yes. Yes, very true. Yeah, there's I didn't the, even think about that one. There's the basic like things they do, basic actions, and then some of them also have like special little uh, actions or passive bonuses on them. Which well, right, can also yeah. be used to change what faction you're loyal to. Oh, right, 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 right. Yeah. Which oh, I, yeah. I think that yeah, would definitely qualify under my strict, yeah. stupid semantic. Uh, was that was that definition. not how you were thinking about it? Because that's the only thing that I thought about in terms of multi-use. While well, I was thinking up. the the either or definition. You can use uh, this yeah. one to either battle or to move. Yep. Okay. Yep. But yeah, the pat the patriots, um, the cards that let you switch. The cards that force you to change allegiance are called Patriots in Pax Pamir, and that is definitely a different use than just the stuff that is on it. Yep, those cards are just so packed with <laughs> information. It's so hard to keep track of all the cards and what they do in that game. And you can also read the flavor text that is actual historical background. Yeah, learning. Learning yeah. and gaming. Hand in hand. <laughs> hand in hand. <laughs> Um, um, on my list, sorry, I'll just say it very briefly because we've already right. covered them all. I just so I stuck to my, I stuck to my guns because I knew you guys were going to go with the other definition, <laughs> and uh, I just have Twilight Struggle for the initiative, like we talked about, Undaunted Normandy for the same thing, and then I have Race for the Galaxy because the cards can be used either for what they do or as money for something else or even as resources because. Cards in your tableau in Race for the Galaxy create special types of resources. They can create like an alien resource, a blue resource that I don't remember the name of. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's the, everything in that game is just cards. So, yeah. Well, it's always good to stick to your guns, Jonah. Thank you. I'm nothing um, if not opinionated. The, and the <laughs> other games that I have not played, but that were on there were San Juan, which I think is based on Race for the Galaxy or vice versa. I thought it was Puerto Rico or Puerto the Rico card game. first. Puerto Rico, then San Juan, and San Juan was the inspiration for Race for the Galaxy. I think it's oh. like a similar like role selection system where like you choose what actions everyone's gonna take that turn kind of deal. Anyways, haven't played San Juan. Uh oh my goods people were talking about oh my goods Bruges i don't know that one and and uh, uh inish <laughs> i don't i don't know it it like you could discard cards in order to like inish they counted as people that could die in battle like you could discard a card oh right instead of losing a person you could chuck a card but that didn't really seem to fit too well. Yeah, if 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 we're using that definition, then <laughs> Mythic Battles Pantheon would have multi-use cards too. And I don't. And that's know. why I was trying to do my definition because I felt like the other one could just be too broad. So many games fall under that category. Yeah. Right. Not yep. that it's bad. Yeah, I think my main 
my main ones that I pictured in my mind when thinking about it were Gloomhaven and Brass Birmingham just being the two different... Just the fact that you have Brass on there makes me feel good. <laughs> in the subcategory. In Whatever. the subcategory. Whatever. I'll, I'll, <laughs> I'm going to put this in my board game stats as a win. <laughs> um, but yeah, I I mainly wanted to talk about it because it is just another one of those things you like just a way that board game designers make taking actions like before that like the actual act of taking an action more interesting like uh i guess it would be similar to like worker placement where you're limited to these the number of workers you have and they take the space up and then no one can do that or uh Mm -hmm. like action drafting like just an extra little spin on what would otherwise be, you know, still a good game, but it just adds that extra level of depth. I think that um, it doesn't really bog down the rules too much, mm-hmm. but just makes your inter your your uh, uh, turns more interesting. The actions you decide to take because you have to weigh these, you know, extra options of like, oh here's this card, but I can use it in these different ways, maybe like a short-term plan versus a long-term. Right. I need to, you know, just think maybe a little bit more on what mm-hmm. I'm actually going to do. And one thing we like to do with these uh, Mechanic of the Weeks is talk about which games use this mechanic well, which games maybe don't use it so well. Any uh, opinions on that, you guys? Um, I think... This is difficult because it's super broad. Um, I think... I I would say I think the games that... I mean, obviously the games that are designed around multiple potential moves printed on a single card are use it well because it's the whole basis of the game. Mm -hmm. Um, I think some games where you are discarding it maybe for initiative use it well because it's a I think that's a neat mechanism to have to dump cards but it really gives you a hard choice. Um I don't Right, like you want to use your seven guy in Undaunted Normandy because you desperately want to go first, but the seven guy is also super strong and you feel bad getting rid of him. I don't I don't know of many games that use it poorly to be honest, because I think most games design around it and Mm -hmm. unless the game itself is bad, I don't think that it would use the mechanic poorly. Um, in this case, at least for me. And then Nick, what were you going to say? Uh, I've only play good games, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I I'm not yet at the point in my board gaming uh, hobby career where I'm willing to play or have played a game that's less than like uh, what what's the board game geek ratings? It's a seven. Or is it out of ten? Yeah. I I don't think I've played less than a seven. <laughs> so I don't. I and I mainly play games that other people have played or like playing. So, I I I don't think I've played any games that use it poorly or bad. Have you games. played any games you don't like? Uh, there's got to be some. I think I played one recently, but I pandemic. Pandemic, <laughs> yes. Uh, and I think I think I played a game with you, Jonah, maybe like two weeks ago or three weeks ago. Was it I Age did. of Steam? No, I really like I mean, Age of Steam. we oh, would okay. not have played an 18xx if we didn't like Age of Steam. <laughs> That's fair. But anywho, no. So I I couldn't think of any that I 
I I mean the ones that I could think of, I think I all I liked basically all of them. Mm-hmm. Although cool. with Raiders, the one thing I will say is that some of the actions, like on either the tableau building or uh, immediate action, some of the cards it seemed like one was obviously better than the other. Yeah, I was going to say that I didn't think Raiders does it as well as some of the other games. I mean, Raiders is still a super enjoyable game that I quite like. I just think this mechanic doesn't shine in that game. You know what? I actually, thinking back on it, I kind of agree. Because it's it's a worker placement game that throws in multi-use cards. So it's right. not designed around the multi-use. So I think I think I, w- I would agree with that. I, there's definitely some that are better than others. I mean... If I get any berserkers, they are never leaving my hand ever. So right, yeah, you know, and it just so you, if we didn't discuss it on that episode, berserkers cannot be killed in a raid by the Valkyries, which are the opponent little pieces that kill your your uh, crew. They go right back in your hand. So berserkers are super powerful. Right, so. I think in order for a multi-use card um, design to be interesting, you have to actually care about both uses for every card in the game. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree. I think that's a, a good measure of whether or not the system uses it well. All right. Anything else to add, either of you? Uh, yes, I would like to add that I have officially looked at my win percentage, and surprisingly, it's 31%. Oh, wow. Mine's so, uh, slightly higher, but... Well, with me, your win a lot per- of games. With me... My games with you specifically, uh, your win percent is forty-seven. Oh wow! My brother is at fifty-one, and the only—I think—the only times he really loses are tactical games and when a third person joins. So, <laughs> yikes! Yeah, I lose to him all the time. But uh, just just goes to show everyone out there listening, uh, you're better than you think you are. <laughs> Inspiring words from Ben to close out the podcast. Wow. <laughs> Well done. You're better than you think you are, and we'll see you next week. <laughs> <laughs> Just don't forget the peanut butter scale. That's right. We got to do some refinement on that for next week. Yeah. Anything to close out with, either of you? Uh, I'm really looking forward to discussing our D&D game next week. Uh, just for fun. I think it's going to be fun. Uh, and Nick is apparently using voices for his character, so I'm interested to see what he actually goes with. So, I uh, yeah, yeah, I, I don't think it's going to be that exciting. I think it's going to oh. be a slight variation. I tried to do other voices. I just kind of like <laughs> went through three or four. They all kind of just hurt my throat. So <laughs> I think I'm going to keep it more or less normal. Okay. Well, we'll see how it Good goes. Good to know that you have we'll done this uh, pre-planning. Yeah. Here, which I... voices can I do? <laughs> how well can I do them? Dude, I have too much time. <laughs> um, but yeah, closing statement. Uh, board games are fun. Uh, you should start play them, them earlier than you think you should. Yes, I was a convert. I wish I had started earlier. Uh, great community, fun time. I was yeah. thinking. I, obviously, board games are for everyone and everyone. Um, but uh, I have found th- the best times in my life are the ones where I've had like a hobby that I'm really interested in. And mm-hmm. this last like year with board games has reinvigorated, has introduced a new hobby into my life that I uh, enjoy quite a bit. So 
feel like I have some purpose in life. <laughs> this is this is such an a sappy inspirational ending. <laughs> I, I might as well mention that Jonah changed my life by introducing me to disc golf. So wow, yeah, J- Jonah, J- look at you. I also lives. look. I also brought my brother. I brought my brother disc golfing this past week, and uh, I beat him. And he always says, and I quote, "I am a god." That's what he wow. says. So I said to him, "No, you're not." He is so bad, and I love it. The seven degrees of Jonah hobby uh, separation, or whatever. Yeah, apparently. Well, I'm doing so something thanks, right. Jonah. I guess <laughs> you're you're better than you think you are. Oh, that's right. <laughs> According to you or to Nick? That was me. <laughs> Nick said he feels like he has purpose. <laughs> it's it's wonderful. Oh man. That's good. It's a good feeling to have, especially with <laughs> something as important as um board games with friends. Yeah, it's wonderful. Good stuff. All right. Well, yeah. before this devolves into too much chaos, I guess we should um close off the episode. So thank you, Nick, for joining us as a guest host. No problemo. Hopefully I can be back some other time. Yeah, we'd love to have you. And thanks for listening, everyone. We would also like to thank our good friend Louisa down in Melbourne, Australia, a composer who made our intro jingle. Hope you all liked it, and we will see you next week.